Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Special final, JCM Jones from Mothership and Jerry Saw Soccer. Joe Patch from 9.9 The Game and Jerry Saw Soccer is over there. Jeremiah O'Shan from SB Nation and Sounder at Heart is over there. Jeremiah, do you want to do the victory speech now or do you want to wait till after the game? <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about. I would never do something like that. Uh, no, I, a... um, I don't think I... We'll wait. We'll, we'll wait. We'll have me we'll back wait. next week. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll regroup after this. We'll have a little come to Jesus meeting after the end of this. Yeah. If Atlanta can actually maybe make something happen here against the Sounders team that started five zero and one, they are clearly the best team in the league. That's eye test. That's analytics. That's pretty much everything right now. Um, it, it's interesting to I think the the soccer media at large because I think a lot of us uh, were looking at this team and going okay. Kelvin Leardham's gone, Joe Jones, Svensson, uh, now you lose Jordan Morris. Um, Raul Diaz is AWOL for a little bit in preseason training as they're kind of trying to integrate this new formation. All these kind of I things were coming together. That. And you were thinking like, okay, there are some questions here, but maybe I'm crazy. I'm doing this from like a national lens. And then I would go to like Sounder at Heart and you guys would be like, no, there's some questions here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, this is interesting. This could be maybe a, a step back or maybe a slow starting year again for Sounders. It is not been the case uh jeremiah how have they been able to to answer all of these questions so quickly I, yeah i think that's a that's a good question and i've i've said this a few places but i think a lot of the skepticism was warranted i'm actually kind of intrigued by the kind of self-flagellation that a lot of people are giving them I'm like oh how did we not see this coming <laughs> and you know other than maybe one or two people in like in our group uh like on sounder at heart I think we all expected some sort of step. I mean, first of all, we're talking a step back from being one of the best teams, arguably the best team over the last five years. And so like a step back could have been third in the West. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think, I don't think a lot of us were expecting the bottom to fall, but I remember telling people throughout the preseason that my personal expectation was that the Sounders would be solidly in the playoff chase until summer. They'd bring someone in and they'd probably make a run at, you know, another playoff run, but there were people in our community who thought I was being like a Pollyanna about it. And, and like, they're not going to be thick. Like, how, what do you mean in the playoff race? And I said, you know, I would say like, I don't know, mid mid table, like they're going to, they're not going to fall apart. They have, cause that the, the core of this team was intact. And I think you go down the middle, you know, at the time we didn't know Rui Diaz was going to miss virtually all of preseason. We didn't know Ladero was going to be hurt for most of the year. But you go down the spine, it was Rui Diaz, Ladero, Roldan, Jao Paulo, mm-hmm. Jamar, uh, Stefan Fry. And then they had they had quality players on like the back line. And really you were they were missing some wingers. And I think the Sounders uh, Brian Schmetzer essentially answered that question by changing formations. Instead of trying to do the round peg and square hole thing, he just leaned into the players that they had and said, and I assume what he did is he looked at the the talent and said, wait a minute, if we redeploy this talent in a, in more of a three, five, two, it all makes a lot more sense. Cause all of a sudden we can use our depth at forward where we have a Will Bruin who was coming off the bench all year last year, and we can move him into a starting spot. 
you know, Brad Smith can easily play as a, as a wing back instead of a, a left back. You know, we think Alex Roldan could be an effective wing back on the other side. And all of a sudden now we have all these, we now have like players who make sense at each spot and the stroke of genius. And I, and I think that this is actually the key to it all is moving Nuhu from being a left back <laughs> who was very defensive, loved to get forward, but was not particularly effective when he got forward and just telling him to be the absolute best center back he could be. You could do all the stuff you want to do, but you got to do it like on your half of the field and getting him to buy in. And all of a sudden we're seeing, I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but I think if the season ends today, he's the defender of the year. And I don't, and I think that if he's, if you just look at his statistics, he's blowing the last, you know, we we've done this comparison where we looked at the last three defenders of the year and across the board, his defensive metrics are, heads and shoulders above, you know, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Ike Opara. And, and I don't know that he's going to maintain that because I think eventually teams are just going to stop testing him. And then you're going to get in this Deion Sanders situation where half the field is just not usable and, and you make teams more predictable. So uh, I, I think knew who is really, I hope you guys appreciated the Deion Sanders reference. I did, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's a, I, I think Nuhu is really kind of the key to all this right now. And I think that it was a little bit of a stroke of genius, a little bit of luck, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I think you would have been crazy to sit here six weeks ago and say like, no, watch it. Nuhu's going to be the defender of the year. He's going to be like an MVP <laughs> candidate or something. Yeah. Well, it, what's wonderful about that too is he's done it in a very Nuhu way. The, the yeah. acrobatics, the goofy acrobatics are still there. <laughs> Everything yeah. is still very Nuhu and it's still working to a big extent. Uh, but there are also things like, I mean, y'all are missing Ladero, but you, you maybe plug in a Josh Atensi, you maybe plug in a Yeva, and they're still doing the damn thing. It, it's kind of incredible, honestly. Yeah. It, and I would say that in a lot of ways, it's, it's more excited. This is the most excited I've been about this team, frankly, you know, uh, maybe, maybe ever, um, mm. partly wow. because it's not just the pieces that you thought were going to do well, doing well. It's, it is Josh Atencio who he played the first two games. I thought looked great. Those first two games he's, he got hurt and he hasn't played the last four, but he looked great in those two games. And he, this is a player who had something like 20 MLS minutes coming into the season. Uh, Danny Leva has not been at that level, but he's been solid and he's been, he's played like, I think the last three or four games and he, or last three games. And he, he's looked good. Uh, that's been encouraging. Kellen Rowe has come in and, and done a job, not been a star, but, but been a reliable player in the middle of the field, which I don't think we saw coming. Uh, and, and really Christian Roldan has grown into a position now where I think he's probably been the MVP of the first six games of the season. I don't know that he's going to be an MVP contender, you know, in, in October, but I think based on what he's done and what he allows the Sounders to do around him, playing this very non-traditional number 10, where it's more about the runs he's making off the ball than it's about anything he's doing with the ball at his feet, but he's been influential in every game he's been in. He, he was all over the field defensively. He's pulling, you know, center backs and and midfielders all over the field around him. Uh, it's just a very fun team to watch, and it's fun to see these new things that we hadn't seen. You know, it's it gets a little, you know, it can get a little tiresome to just watch Nico and Raul, uh, you know, doing their thing and and you getting results as a result of it. 
I'm, I'm glad I'm here because, you know, for our listeners, I'm sure a lot of them won't have the kind of in-depth knowledge that both Jeremiah brings, but also Sam as someone who covers the league and obviously is watching, you know, Seattle as the best team in the league uh, week in, week out. Um, I don't really know what's going on, but I feel like I can already picture how this game is going to go, which is that Atlanta United is going to go to Seattle and actually look decent, you know, passing the ball around, playing through their midfield like we've seen so far this season. And then Seattle will be absolutely ruthless uh, when they win the ball and kill them. But I want to know, first of all, is, is my assessment there correct? And just generally, what is kind of the style that that Seattle's playing with under this new formation that Brian Schmesser has put in place? So I do think that the assessment is potentially very accurate. Uh, I think that's been the model. Like when they've looked their best, that's exactly how it's played out. Like they have been the most pressed team in the league and it doesn't seem to have phased them. But I think the reason they're the most pressed team is because other teams see the film and go, Oh, we can just, we see it disrupting them. We see them struggling to get the ball out of their own end. We see them, you know, sometimes committing turnovers and those are openings that if we could, exp- we can do a better job of exploiting that than, than LAFC could, or, uh, you know, whoever else, like we, we think we can, we can pull it off if we get them to do the same mistakes that they did against that other team. And yet the Sounders don't give up a lot of chances. Like they, they've done a really good job of even when they turn the ball over, you know, applying counter pressure, creating their own turnovers. And that's one of the things the Sounders have, have done the best of is, is counter pressing and creating pressure at not necessarily high up the field like a traditional press would be but con- creating uh contested moments all over the field and creating turnovers all over the field you know they're, they're among the league league in a bunch of different metrics that that show that and and so like against LAFC for instance I think a lot of people would look at the first half and they'd say oh LAFC was uh, kind of bossing this game they were the Sounders couldn't get out of their own end but yet the couple times the Sounders did get out of their own end, they had these really good scoring opportunities and they easily could have had two goals in the first half and LAFC did not have anything close. They had maybe one decent look, but their, their XG at the end of that game ended up being, you know, 0.4, 0.5, depending on what you look at. And really they had one decent chance. They had one shot from distance. That was an okay look, but really they had nothing that was uh, that troubled the Sounders on a, on a consistent basis. And, so, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Atlanta come into the, you know, maybe get to the half scoreless, feel pretty good about what they're doing. And then all of a sudden the Sounders figure out a way to score one goal. And then once what we've seen this year is like once the Sounders score one goal, mm-hmm. the floodgates tend to open and they've almost always added a second, you know, and, you know, the San Jose game was sort of this outlier where they got a, a relatively early goal, but in part because it was the second game of a, you know, they were playing on short rest. They had a heavily rotated lineup. They weren't able to add that second goal. And then, of course, they ended up finishing the game with Alex Roldan uh, playing goalkeeper. <laughs> but uh, they they have this really kind of killer instinct ability where they're able to put games away that uh, I think right now is unmatched in MLS. Well, you're saying all this, and it's all scary just kind of listening to it. But, but all that <laughs> considered, you still had an article run yesterday on SAH that said so this team can get better. How, how is that yeah. even the case right now? Well, I, I think that's what we see is like, we see them have these moments of struggle. Like they haven't put together a, like, to be honest with you, I don't know that they've put together a comprehensive performance where they were the better team from minute one to minute 90. Uh, and what's actually kind of funny, I found this stat that from the third minute to the 90th minute, they've outscored opponents 12 to zero. 
which is hmm. pretty remarkable. Hmm. Uh, they because they gave up a second minute goal to LAFC on a fluky free kick, and then they gave up a 93rd minute to goal to Portland in the uh, in the 90 on another free kick that where they it was a great hit, but they definitely mispositioned their wall. Uh, but they've yeah they they haven't had a comprehensive performance where they've gone minute one to minute 90. And I think that you can assume that they're going to get better once Nico Ladero gets out there. Cause in the 24 minutes that he did play was probably the most, you know, dominant they've looked all season. Uh, it was against the galaxy and they were bossing the game for those 24 minutes. Uh, so I think they're going to get better with Nico. Once he comes in, Stefan Fry is going to be out for at least three or four more weeks. And I think they'll get better from what they are right now. Uh, and they're going to eventually get Josh Atencio back. I th- actually think he's been missed as well. So presume if they get healthy, I, I think that, you know, they're going to go through, I, my suspicion is that they're going to go through a lull June, July. They're going to be missing. Rui Diaz is probably going to go to the national team. Uh, Javier Arriaga is probably going to go to the national team. They could miss, you know, somewhere between six and eight games between the two of them. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them have a little bit of a downturn over the summer, but I think come September, this team will probably be better than they are right now. As they usually are, as they usually are. Hey, I, so I, I have a question. I want I want you to talk about Brian Schmetzer here. And first of all, I, I'm kind of curious as to whether, like, because of this formation change, if this is like a leveling up of Brian Schmetzer as a manager in terms of tactically and whatnot. But I want to also go back to what Jim Curtin said after, you know, he was talking after Philadelphia bounced Atlanta United from CONCACAF Champions League. And, he, of course, he had some things to say about Gabriel Heinze in terms of, you know, shaking hands or whatever. But I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, uh, everybody, but I, I'm pretty sure he said something about, you know, the quality of American managers in MLS, you know, and they are underrated uh, in some instances. And I think that that's absolutely true, first of all. And I think that Jim Curtin's a, a terrific manager. And I think that Brian Schmetzer, he's like, it's funny when Curtin said that, I immediately thought of Brian Schmetzer because, you know, he's been there for so long. He's had such a consistent track record in Seattle. And it's just such a rarity nowadays, especially in soccer, to see a manager, you know, first of all, just be around as long as Schmetzer has, but also to just have that consistent track record of having teams motivated, you know, ready to play. He's not always doing flashy things in terms of, you know, dominating games tactically, but he has players that are willing to play for him and, and bust a gut to do so. Um, so I'm j- I just want to kind of get your perspective of of what makes Brian Schmetzer so great and such a, a perfect fit for Seattle. So I think there is this perception, and I don't think it's entirely wrong, that part of what Brian Schmetzer has been able to do is because he's like a Seattle guy and somehow what he's doing isn't going to work. If he were to go like Alexi Lawless kind of went on this, uh, this spiel last year during the playoffs about how he's a great manager for Seattle, but he's, I'm not convinced yet that he's a great manager. And I think there's, you know, there's a hint of truth to that. I, I, I think that you can't deny that his comfortable, his history with the team and and his comfort in the market allows him to do a lot of stuff outside of managing the club that kind of level him up in terms of his perception in the, within the community, he's loved all those kind of things, but it's not like it gives him a superpower to like get guys <laughs> to make a run that they wouldn't otherwise do. It's not like yeah. it gives them a tactical advantage on in any way. And in, in fact, I think it ends up diminishing his achievements by uh, you know, this is a, a coach who's been to four MLS cup finals in, in five years, something no other, I don't think any other MLS coach has ever done. Uh, and 
he you people talk he's never even been a finalist for mls coach of the year wow really wow yeah ne- yeah he's never been he's never been a finalist which is kind of a, rem- a remarkable thing i think maybe in 2016 he could have snuck up there but because he only was the coach for you know 14 games yeah. or whatever yeah. it was yeah. that you know he didn't get this consideration that he would have otherwise gotten and so i think he hears a lot about how he's not the most tactically astute person and and i think part of it is that he plays into it a little bit. Like he, he, he doesn't have press conferences where he, he belittles the media. He doesn't have, you know, he, he doesn't do the Bruce Arunia thing mm. where he tells a reporter how dumb their question is and how I'm not even going to answer this stupid question. What, who are you to ask me? And he also doesn't do the thing that like Caleb Porter and Greg Berhalter do where he sits there and has a tactical treaties and he explained he's like moving bits around on a on a whiteboard like caleb porter is literally doing during zone the zone 14 you that. know but yeah like they don't so and he's not and then he doesn't like and i think burhalter actually does a good job of this but he he he's not out there to show you he or to prove to you he's smarter than you or that he knows what he's doing he kind of lets his results speak for himself and i fall into that trap talking about him too where i i don't necessarily think of him as some sort of tactical genius but i think what he does do and it's something really simple that we sometimes forget is the entire point of tactics which is he puts players in positions to succeed he puts you know he he creates he devises a system where the best players are going to get the ball at the most opportune time and and isn't that what it's like isn't that what it's all about right like, isn't exactly. that what we're yep. all all coaches are <laughs> supposed to be trying to do is like get the mo- get put their players in positions that are designed to highlight their best features and sure it helps when you have a christian rolled on who can apparently play every position on the field and, and you've got a bunch of versatile pieces that you can move around but at the end of the day i think that's what led him, led him to a three five two is he looked at the personnel and talked it over with the coaches and they said well what if we just tweak the way that we deploy everybody and it might make sense and yeah uh so i think i i do think that oddly this is the year where he's most likely to potentially win a coach of the year award because the expect like the coach of the year is to me more than any other award is a narrative driven award it doesn't necessarily matter it's not about your results it's about your results compared to the expectations and and you can't control that and the sounders have always there's always been this expectation that they were going to be really good so when brian Spencer does well he's just hitting the kind of bare minimum like when he goes to mls cup well of course the sounders went to mls cup I could take the Sounders to MLS Cup is kind of, I think, the mentality people get into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's never had such a great regular season that it overachieved anything. Like if you had told told this, told this anyone that the Sounders were going to finish somewhere between second and fourth every year of their existence, you'd say, yeah, because that's what's happened every year of their existence. Right. <laughs> they, uh, you know, that one year they finished one, first and then they've never finished lower than fourth any other year. And so it like by doing that, you're just hitting the expectation. And so this year, I think, is a little different where the expectation was that the Sounders were going to take a step back. I think he gets actually he gets some bonus points because he changed the formation. And he's and he's actually even this year, he's used two, at least two different formations. I've been arguing that he's actually used more like three or four different formations. Uh, like I, I tend to think that the formation they're playing a lot of the time ends up playing more like a a three four two one than a three four one two because uh, Bruin especially has been dropping so far into the midfield that he's effectively serving as a midfielder, and and he actually only got his first shot uh, this last huh. game. Huh. Uh, he hadn't taken a single shot That's up funny. until then. Yeah, it was kind uh, of because he was like your, he used to be like your classic kind of poacher exactly. style number nine. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, but conceiving of a, of a player like Will Bruin being able to do that, I mm-hmm. think does speak to Schmetzer's tactical acumen that he sees the abilities and says, well, even though you're a big burly number nine, what if I played you like a, like in the midfield essentially? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that totally answers the question, but no, I, I do think it's been an interesting evolution of Brian Schmetzer because I think he's showing people what it is the Sounders are trying to do, which is a style of play that's not necessarily linked to a distinct formation. It's more about, you know, quick passing, covering a lot of ground, uh, getting your wing play, uh, getting your wings high up the field and defending with numbers, which sometimes seems counterintuitive, but the the Sounders have the players that are able to do both those things where they've been able to have their wingers in the attack all the time. We've seen this a few times where a winger crosses to a winger and they get a goal. Like they've had two goals like that this year. And yet they always seem to have five or six behind the ball. It's kind of a remarkable achievement. Yeah. I do want to add one thing about Schmetzer. The team account posted a video of him in the locker room after the game from, from this week. And he basically had, he had a little notepad of people to call out and say, basically just good job to, and they, they responded like little kids getting told by their dad that that he was proud of them. And I love that. I think that's a part of the whole, the ethos with it, right? Like, and and all of that counts. And he, simply it doesn't get enough credit and you know i like and to I, poke at him a little bit because it's fun because he is brian schmetzer and yeah. sounders are good and it's fun to punch up um but he's objectively a, a top two or three coach in mls history probably yeah i mean i think i mean i think so i i think like you just look at his track record and it's hard to escape the idea that he's he has to be considered among the elite coaches in, in mls and and like every now and then you'll see someone say something like, well, he should be getting a look at the U S national team. And even I go like, come on, but I don't know, like maybe it would work with the, I mean, it is a distinct thing that he's doing. And I, but I think a lot of it is he, he trusts his assistant coaches to give input. Like, you know, this week, for instance, he was talking about how he essentially deferred to Tommy Ducha, who's the goalkeeper coach who should be the starting goalkeeper. Like he just said, like, is it Spencer Ritchie who has this more, detailed MLS track record or is it, is it Stefan Cleveland who has been with the team a little bit longer and maybe understands what we're trying to do and and he basically gave it to Tommy and I'm sure if it had failed you know if, if Cleveland looked really bad in that game he would have been the first one to say like no that was on me it was my call but because it worked out it's you know Tommy Jutra had had all the decision in it uh, similarly you know this move to the 3-5-2 he's totally deferred the uh the credit to that to Gonzalo Pineda and Jimmy Traore. Whereas if it had not gone so well, he probably would have said like my bad. Uh, But I think that's one of the things that coaches really, that players respond to. They see that stuff. They see how he's willing to take the blame, but he's really quick to give credit. And I I don't think there's a lot of coaches that can rise to the level of being the manager of one of the biggest clubs in North America and doing everything in his power to make it seem like he's not that big of a deal the way you've described him my hypothesis is that he's actually getting laid more than any other manager in mls right now (laughs) he's like which nobody saw coming nobody saw that one coming but uh yeah yeah Uh, we're we're gonna go ahead and let you go here um we we appreciate you coming by yeah of course right What, what better way to end it up um we appreciate you where can folks find you and where can folks find your stuff 
Yeah, so uh, I'm obviously on Twitter at Jeremiah O'Shan. I would imagine a few of your listeners have have sent me messages, even if they didn't realize it, uh, to tell me how idiotic I was to say horrible things about Atlanta once upon a time. But uh, I would I would prefer everyone just read me on Sounder at Heart uh, and uh, and consume SB Nation soccer content. All right, we appreciate it. Let's get out of here. Bye, all.